This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined by Gabby Urrutia here on the first half of the show. We're going to dive into some recruiting news, recruiting thoughts um, here on the first half. Second half after the break, I will be joined by Bama Online's Travis Ryer. Bama Online is the Alabama website here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Travis and those guys over there do an excellent job covering Alabama. And with SEC Media Days, Media Days in general, kind of right around the corner, and uh, the start of fall camp, less than a month away, figured it'd be a good time to get kind of a big picture feel for Alabama uh, going into fall camp. So we, we caught up with Travis on the second half of the podcast. But first, Gabby, let's jump into recruiting news here. Um, Miami got some good news on Friday evening. I think we hinted pretty strongly that it was trending this way, but four-star cornerback out of Fort Myers Bishop Verreau High School, Chris Graves, officially committed to Miami on CBS Sports HQ. Uh, Gabby, what do we make of this commitment now that it is officially official? Yeah, I think it's a big deal, man. Uh, you know, I think Chris Graves is a really high-ceiling guy. Uh, I definitely think he, I think he adds a lot to the cornerback room. You know, I think he's a really good compliment to Kamari Rogers, which I know we'll get to, but uh, you know, I, I think that this is a big addition for DeMarcus Van Dyke. And, you know, the rankings will tell you he's not as highly rated as maybe some of the other guys that are maybe still left on the board. But I think that this is a guy that's really still kind of just really just scratching the surface of who he eventually is going to be. And, you know, he's long, he's athletic. He has like the verified speed, a converted wide receiver. I feel like he has a lot of the, uh, he, he just checks a lot of the boxes of what you're really looking for at a, uh, from a corner at the prep level. And, you know, I think that, uh, I think that this is a big win for Miami over, you know, an SEC school like LSU, South Carolina, Florida, probably more LSU than anybody else. But um, yeah. I, I, I do think that this is a, a huge win for Miami. Yeah. I mean, you, and we've mentioned it time and time again on the podcast, right? He's young for his grade. He should probably technically be a 2023 recruit. So when you consider that, you know, in the trajectory when you're projecting what Chris Graves can be in the future, that certainly enters into that. And, and like you're saying, Gabby, kind of illustrates how high his ceiling is. Uh, I agree. I love the take. I think, you know, uh, Miami's off to a fast start here, uh, kind of adding cornerback talent, uh, which we'll get into here later. I, I want to touch on, he was pretty open about one of the big things that kind of tipped the scales in Miami's favor was a conversation he had with a uh, recent first round pick in the NFL draft, 
cornerback J.C. Horn, who played at South Carolina under current Miami defensive backs coach Travaris Robinson. And Chris Graves kind of during his CBS Sports HQ announcement uh, made it clear that he thinks he has a similar skill set to J.C. Horn. And so obviously that conversation played a big role in uh, Miami landing Chris Graves because of that connection between Horn and Robinson. What, what did you make of that kind of development that, you know, obviously Travaris Robinson has the respect of guys he, he coaches and, and moves on to the NFL level? Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, I don't know if some people remember, but when J.C. Horn got drafted by the Panthers, like T-Rob was like in his little like circle, you know, like T-Rob was at his draft party, you know, there when he got drafted. So, you know, I think this is just one of those situations where if I'm being, if I'm being, because I know a lot of people are saying like, oh, he recruited against South Carolina or anything like that. Like, I think if South Carolina really was in the mix as much as some people are making it seem, I don't know if J.C. Horn would have directly said, hey, go to Miami instead of South Carolina. I really think that ultimately it kind of paints the picture that this was probably more of a Miami LSU battle and that, you know, T-Rob felt comfortable getting J.C. Horn on the phone with him and telling him like, hey, you know, just kind of talk to him about what, like what I could potentially do with him. He's not going to go to South Carolina. So, you know, just, you know, just kind of show him what we can do there. And, you know, Chris Graves has said that like, you know, J.C. Horn is his favorite player. Like when you, he said it on the, on the telecast, all that stuff, he's told, he said it before in the past and all that stuff. So, I just think it's a big deal that, you know, T-Rob sort of has that endorsement from, you know, obviously players that are very highly touted by NFL teams and, you know, a guy that I believe he was the first corner taken. Was he first taken or was Sertain? Yes. Did Sertain go? So JC Horn was the first cornerback taken off the board. You know, I, I just think it's huge. And I think it just says a lot about who T-Rob is as a coach, as a person, really, because I feel like it goes beyond football if you're, if you know, you have that sort of relationship and stuff. So uh, I think it's a huge deal that, that uh, you know, JC Horn was willing to, kind of go out there and help T-Robin that way. Yeah, so Miami now has four commitments in this 2022 class. Uh, moved up slightly in, in the rankings. They're still low, still uh, now at number 72 overall in the country. I think previous to Chris Graves' commitment, they were number 78. So moved up slightly. Still have a nice uh, average ranking, average rating, I would say, for this class of a four-star prospect. Uh, so that's encouraging in terms of the quality Miami's adding. Uh, when, when we project things forward, uh, Gabby, you know, Miami's got two corners. Two of the four players committed are quarterbacks. Kamari Rogers, who is a top 100 recruit, and Chris Graves, who committed recently. Um, how do we feel like they fit together? And how strong is this duo in general if we're projecting forward? Like, do we feel like they can be future starters at Miami. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great, I think it's a great duo, a great compliment. I mean, I feel like Kamari Rogers may be a little bit further along in terms of just like as a cornerback, you know, being like a, a guy that's played corner basically like his whole life and all that stuff. Chris Graves really sort of just now making the transition, but I feel like you have a sort of polished guy who maybe needs to develop more physically in Kamari Rogers. And then you have the, on the flip, on the flip side, you have Chris Graves who is, probably a little bit more blessed physically, you know, as a six, one 170 plus pounder, but it's still sort of developing and fine tuning, you know, like his technique and like, you know, what it really means to be a corner. Uh, and so I think that they complement each other really well. And I think that you have two, I do, I believe you have two potential starters there 
in both those guys. I mean, I think Kamari Rogers is going to have to come in, put in, put on some weight and all that stuff. But, you know, I think Chris Graves is going to have to come in and really just sort of con- develop maybe a little bit more, but potentially be a starter in his second, maybe, you know, I, I could see him as a red shirt freshman or, you know, even a true sophomore really being an impact player for, for Miami. So I think both of those guys are, are home runs. I, I mean, Chris Graves is a guy that could, I think he's sitting outside the top two, four, seven right now. I think that there's a chance he moves up when he, when they reshuffle the rankings. I know that, you know, they're really high on him based on a lot of the things that we've said. The fact that he's young, Chris right. grade, you know, all that, all those different types of things, his length, like a lot of those, a lot of that stuff. So, um, you know, I think that you're, I think when it's all said and done, I think there's a chance Miami has two potential top two, four, seven corners in him. Not saying that's going to happen with Grace, but there is a potential to that. He just continues to rise in those rankings. Um, you know, I, I think that you got two solid guys there and two huge additions for DeMarcus Van Dyke and, and, you know, the rest of that defensive backs room. Yeah. And I think, you know, they, they complement each other too, in that at the college level, at least, I think they're two different types of corners, you know, yeah. because the, the hashes are, are, are wider in college football, right? So in general, you have a field corner who plays kind of the wide side of the field. Yeah. That's generally the guy who's kind of more natural in coverage, uh, man coverage. To me, that's that's more of a Kamari Rogers type. Yeah. And then you have the boundary corner, right, who's kind of the big physical guy who can help in the run game, run support, and, you know, has the length and, and size to take away deep balls. Right. And so that would be Chris Graves. So I think they complement each other there uh, in that aspect too. And I agree, Gabby, I think they can both be future starters at Miami, which is always at the end of the day, the goal in recruiting, you want to take guys that, you know, you feel like can at some point down the road, be a future starter, or have the talent level to be a starter, you know, when, when presumably Miami is, is good. Right. Um, so let's talk about what's next at cornerback recruiting because Miami's not done, uh, recruiting the position, right? They want to take, I think minimally, I think they would want to take three guys. I think they would definitely take four if if four guys they liked wanted to jump in the boat. Um, so who are the names to know there in terms of who's left on the board at cornerback? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to start with Traquan Fegans. You know, he's a, another top 100 talent, uh, just recently transferred to uh, it's Thompson in Alabama. He was at Oxford. He's at Thompson now, who's, I believe, is like a nationally ranked like high school program. So just a really high level, you know, program there in Alabama. Uh, you know, Andrew Ivins and I both dropped crystal balls in favor of Miami there. So, you know, I think Miami's sitting in a pretty good spot. I think there's a pretty good chance that he makes his way back down to South Florida for an, not for an official visit, but just to unofficially visit again at the end of the month. So I think Miami's sitting in a pretty good spot there. I know that a commitment could be coming maybe this month, potentially in August, but you know, feeling good about where Miami stands right there. And I think another name you always have to kind of keep in the back of your head is Jakari Henderson. You know, one of the two Henderson twins out of Sanford Seminole, like in the central Florida, Orlando area. And, you know, those are guys, again, Miami really likes and, so, you know, Miami's, I think, is going to continue to recruit those guys. Uh, director of recruiting David Cooney sort of threw out, like, one of those cryptic tweets that kind of maybe indicated that, like, they were sort of talking about the twins over there. Uh, so, you know, I know those are two guys that they really, really like. So, yeah, especially, you know, Jakari being the cornerback. Uh, so I think those are definitely two names to watch. And I'm not sure that they're going to stop recruiting Jacoby Spells either, you know. Like, I think they're just going to kind of continue to see how that plays out. I think maybe if 
Fegans hops on board, maybe they'll, maybe that'll be time for them to maybe move off the spells and just be like, all right, like we, we're kind of set here. But I can see them, I can see them going after Fegans, and even if let's say they were to get a guy like Fegans, still continue to go after a guy like you know Jakari Henderson and just sort of sort of continue to chip away there and kind of see how he feels about you know potentially being like the fourth corner in a strong class. But you know a, that's also a position where you sort of need to add that those sorts of numbers if you can, especially with you know four guys of that type of talent. So I think it would be big if you know, both those guys were eventually Miami Hurricanes, but still a couple big time names on the board by no stretch. Is there just some like, you know, random dudes that they're just trying to recruit? Like they're trying to go after some big time cover guys. And, you know, there's plenty in play for Miami at this point. So let's say, I think, you know, best case scenario, right. They end up with four corners, you know, of those combinations you just land, you just named, who knows what it would be. Let's say Miami ends up with three corners and, and, get one of those guys, whether it's uh, Fegans, Henderson, or Spells, right? They end up with three. Uh, you know, one of those guys in addition to Chris Graves and Kamari Rogers. That's still a very strong cornerback class. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think I think either one of those three would, you know, I mean, obviously Fegans would be the top under challenge. Like, that would take it to, like, a different stratosphere, but let's say you were even able to get a, a Jakari Henderson. Like, you know, there's a freak athlete that could potentially develop into one of these guys. So, you know, we've said a whole bunch of him about him on the, on the pod before. So not really going to harp on that, but I think Miami sure. would be happy with any combination of those three guys still on the board, being the, like the third corner in this class. So, yeah, let's move on to, to the job uh, the coaches are doing at the cornerback position. Uh, Demarcus Van Dyke, uh, was elevated to from recruiting a recruiting assistant to the position coach at cornerback and Miami replaced departed Ephraim Banda, who took the defensive coordinator job at Utah state with Travaris Robinson. Uh, I think one, one area I've been impressed with Manny Diaz uh, in his early tenure at Miami thus far is the ability to kind of self evaluate at the end of every season what areas kind of need to be changed or addressed with the program. And I think he looked at specifically cornerback recruiting as a big area that needed to change. I didn't think Mike Rumpf was a bad talent evaluator. I didn't think he was a bad coach, but I do think he needed to uh, show the ability to close and win big time recruiting battles for the, the top cornerback prospects. And um, thus far, that is, it. that is something that Coach DeMarcus Van Dyke has been able to do in this early 2022 cycle. Um, do, you, do you feel like so far uh, DeMarcus has kind of proven to be what Manny Diaz hoped he would be? And, and in general, do you feel like DeMarcus might be kind of a rising star in terms of a position coach that can recruit the cornerback position at a high level, Gabby? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm being honest, I think he's sort of surpassed really the expectations. I mean, you consider what he's done already. I mean, just with the way Miami's rec recruited the cornerback position historically, like what well, Kamari Rogers, I think, I think one of you, I think it was either you or Andrew, David, that Kamari Rogers is the highest ranked, or he will, he would be the highest ranked signee if he does eventually sign with Miami since Tracy Howard in 2012. Correct. That's yep. a big deal, man. Like your first year on the job and it's, you're landing a talent like that in June while on an official visit. Uh, you know, just being able to kind of close there, I think is a huge deal, especially for, like with a guy at it, like, you know, 
we've talked about it in the heart of SEC country in Mississippi, Ole Miss pushing, you know, he has a good relationship with Terrell Buckley, all that type of stuff. And Miami's able to win out there. I think that's a, that, that, that's a huge deal. I mean, this is a top hundred talent. And then, you know, just to flip that right into Chris Graves, you know, again, a guy with just major upside who, you know, could potentially continue to sort of rise in the rankings and just, you know, as people kind of see him more potentially with a big senior year and all that stuff. You know, I just think that, I think what he's been able to do, you know, just thus far, really just since getting the job, I mean, on the recruiting trail, really, because that's really all we can judge him on at this point. Right. It has been, it's been fantastic. Like, I absolutely think when you when you do those, like, you know, the next rising stars, you know, I know 24-7 sports does it. I mean, I would be I would be pretty surprised if DeMarcus Van Dyke wasn't on it just because of what he's been able to do on the trail. And you even talked to some of the 2021 signees. Like, I know Cameron Kitchens, like, he direct, like, you know, he said, like, DeMarcus right. Van Dyke was a huge reason why he picked Miami. And a few of these other guys, you'll hear the same thing out of them. So, I mean, I think he, I think Miami Diaz absolutely made the right move with promoting DeMarcus Van Dyke and, you know, just what they've been able to sort of do with that room. Just so just at this point, really early July is, 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 is big time. So uh, kudos to DeMarcus Van Dyke, Travis Robinson uh, for the job they're doing with cornerback recruiting right now. Um, Gabby, you know, whenever anyone knew, whenever there is a new commitment, uh, you know, 24 hours later, the fan base wants to know who could be next. Right. Um, and you put up a VIP article on inside the U, uh, this morning, Monday morning about, uh, some of the names fans need to know in terms of who could be the next player to commit to Miami. I want you to pick out, let's go with three of the three of the players you feel like are worth highlighting from that article, Gabby. So I'll let you take it and run with it. Who would you highlight first? Yeah. I mean, the first, the first guy just kind of keep on the theme of cornerback. I mean, just Traquan Fegans, uh, just to kind of go back towards that again. Uh, you know, I think that Miami's just put themselves in a really good spot with him. And uh, I think if he does make it down to July uh, in the, at the end of the month, I think that'll be a very good indicator of, you know, where Miami stands. Um, I think it'll be a good sign if, you know, he is creeping closer to a commitment towards where he's leaning and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm pretty sure he's going to make it just everything I've heard sort of behind the scenes has led me to believe that, you know, he is going to be in South Florida at some point at the end, at the end of July. And if he does, you know, I mean, I think that would put Miami in a really good spot there. Yeah, you, you've kind of been hinting for a while now that that things have been trending for Miami there. Uh, you and Andrew putting in the crystal ball predictions for Fegan, certainly a, a, a good sign. Who would you who would be the second guy you'd want to highlight from the article you wrote? Yeah, I'm going to go with Isaiah Horton, you know, the wide receiver out of Oak. Uh, he goes to Oakland High School in Tennessee, you know, undefeated state championship team, you know, big time program out up there in the in the volunteer state. Uh, I know, I mean, I spoke to him a couple weekends ago and it seems like, again, like he, he already knows where he's committed. I think the school that he committed to knows, you know, what, like that he is going to that school. Uh, I think Miami's in a pretty good spot. You know, I, I know Tennessee is the in-state school and, you know, people have said in the past that like, you know, staying home uh, might be pretty important to like people in his camp and all that stuff. But, you know, I've been sort of feeling like Miami's in a better spot here than some might realize. Uh, and I'm just, I mean, I think that he's someone that could potentially, you know, just decide, Hey, I'm going to commit on this day. And if I'm not saying Miami will be the pick, but I think there's a chance that Miami could ultimately end up winning out here. If, uh, if Horton does decide soon that, you know, that he wants to make like a public commitment and all that stuff. It seems like he, like you talked to him, it sounds like he is committed. 
but he just right. hasn't announced it yet. And, you know, I'm hearing Miami is in a pretty good spot there. Again, I know Tennessee feels good too. So who knows? Cause someone has to know where he's going at this point. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think I, I, I do think Miami is very involved there. Yeah. A commitment isn't official until it's official. So yeah, we will see if Isaiah does decide to pull the trigger at some point this month, or maybe even the month of August, uh, it'll be interesting. And the final guy you would highlight from your article, Gabby would be who? I mean, I'll probably go Devon, uh, Devin Jackson, the linebacker out of Nebraska. Um, and I mean, there's a couple other guys I could have potentially gone with here, but you know, a guy that, you know, again, was going home after the Miami official visit, ready to commit. Well, like got to the Miami official visit, expecting to commit to Arizona state right after it wrapped right. up and, you know, has just continued to sort of push it back and all that stuff. And I think the fact that he hasn't just come out and just kind of landed back on Arizona state to this point, I think sort of says a lot about, you know, really just really the fact that he's really sort of juggling these two schools and, you know, just really hard just, you know, just really sitting on this and thinking about it. I think the more time passes, uh, I kind of feel better about Miami just because I feel like if like Arizona was such a heavy favorite coming in that, you know, the fact that he had, he hasn't just been like, no, like I'm just going to go to Arizona state. I think that's positive news for Miami. I think the more he thinks about it, uh, I think the better that is for Miami. So again, not really sure when a commitment's coming. Um, I think one could potentially come this month. Uh, you know, if Miami and Arizona state are, are just going to continue to be the two contenders there. But, um, you know, I, th- I definitely think that he would be a name to watch if, you know, he does d- decide, like, I'm committing on this day. Okay, so that's that would be three. That's three four-star guys you kind of highlighted. Yeah. We'll see if it ends up beat Miami being the pick, but I agree those guys are definitely some guys to keep an eye on from a Miami Hurricanes fan perspective. Uh, before we get you out of here, Gabby, let's leave on this note. So, again, Miami's at four commitments in this 2022 cycle. Uh, We are about mid-July, right? Kind of halfway through July here. I want to get your take, your opinion on how many more commitments by the end of this month, right? Um, And I will set the over-under at three and a half more commitments by the end of July. So basically what I'm saying is by the end of July, Will Miami have seven commitments or less, I guess, or uh, eight commitments or more? Which, which way would you go on that? Yeah, that's tough, man. You really, you really crush it with these over-unders. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might, I mean, just, I mean, being conservative, I guess. Sure. I might go under, but like I could definitely see a situation where it's like over and like maybe over by like a couple, you know? So I think, uh, I do think that there's a couple different ways that they can, they can go here, but just kind of, you know, seeing how Miami sort of just been kind of recruiting and all that stuff, how it's been a little bit more slower pace and all that stuff. Um, again, some of these guys just don't have commitment dates. So I don't want to just say like, Oh, this guy is definitely right. committing in July. Like it could be August 2nd and that would make me wrong right. here. So I would probably go under just because of the uncertainty of like the exact commitment dates of some of these guys. If it was the end of August, you would go over, correct? Oh yeah, I would definitely go over if it was the end of okay. August. Cool. So yeah, again, we, we keep preaching this. Miami's taking a patient approach. So far, I think they have four quality commitments in this class. We'll see if they can uh, build on that here in the month of July. I think they're certainly poised. I think they're certainly in the mix to, to land some more. Uh, uh, but again, as I, as I said earlier, it's kind of all about closing and recruiting when you get in that final two or three. Uh, which team can pull it out at the end of the day. 
Um, Gabby, good stuff, man. We'll get you out of here now. And uh, on the other side of this break, I will have a discussion with Bama Online's Travis Ryer to kind of provide an early look at the Crimson Tide. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, and now we have Travis Ryer here of Bama Online. Does an excellent job with the crew over there, uh, 24-7 Sports Alabama site, uh, covering Alabama football, recruiting, everything having to do with Alabama sports. want to welcome Travis to the show. Thanks for coming on. Travis, let's just start here. I guess just familiarize yourself with the listeners here. I guess share your, your brief credentials, how long you've been uh, following Alabama, uh, working at Bama Online, all that good stuff. Been with BamaOnline.com, David, since 2003. So I guess we're 18, 19 years into this thing. So uh, it's been a very long partnership and a great one for me. And, you know, we just always appreciate the support of the fans and everyone that makes it possible to do what we do. But yeah, BOL is one of the, one of the old dogs, I guess you could say, been around for a while. Yeah, you guys do a great job, and obviously Miami and Alabama kicking the season off September 4th, neutral site game, and with media days right around the corner, fall camp, less than a month away, felt like it'd be a good time to just provide the Miami fans kind of a big-picture perspective on what to expect of Alabama in that matchup as far as what we can tell today, right? So, you know, each year, Travis, a team forms a new identity, right? And I know that's going to be molded somewhat through fall camp. Uh, but from your perspective right now, just what you know after spring football and, and looking at the roster on paper, what would you say Alabama's identity looks like it might be uh, for that Miami game to start the season? You know, after three years, David, of averaging 45 points plus per game in a row, I think what most people are anticipating is a team that is more defensive oriented. I return a lot of talented personnel on that side of the ball. A lot of guys have played a lot over the last couple of years, took some lumps a couple of years ago, really had some injuries in that defensive front seven and some guys got some hard lessons to be honest with you, but now guys like Christian Harris and Justin Aboigby and Byron Young and some of those other defensive linemen, um, outside linebackers sort of play into that as well. Uh, they've grown up literally by playing a lot. And so I think they're reaping the benefit of that now. They add a, 
outstanding transfer in Henry Toa at the inside linebacker position and a lot of experience in the secondary as well. So I don't think this is exactly going to be reverting back to early, early in the Saban era. Uh, I think, though, more than anything, a lot of people going into the season and looking at this matchup with Miami uh, is that Alabama defense against the Miami offense probably more than anything else. Alabama, especially, you know, under Nick Saban, has had some terrific front sevens, right? And I know we'll see how it all plays out. But on paper, do you think this this year's front seven for Alabama has a chance to be one of the better ones you've, you've covered at Alabama? It could be, again, based on experience as much as anything else and returning production at just about every level of the defense. So it very well might be. I think they're still waiting on that next star up front to sort of emerge. Christian Barmore moves on to the National Football League, and even Christian wasn't exceptionally consistent in his three years at Alabama, but there were hellacious flashes. And then over the second half of last season, he became sort of that war daddy on that defensive line. So a lot of guys with experience, but they would love LeBron Ray, a veteran of that group, to stay healthy. Hasn't been able to do that for three of his four previous years in the program. Fedarian Mathis, another experienced guy. Those third-year juniors that I talked about a little bit earlier have a chance. DJ Dale with nose tackle being among them. But waiting on some star power to emerge. And then at the one-corner spot opposite Josh Joe, where Patrick Sertan, the second, has moved on to the National Football League. Still going to have some competition there, but they have some high hopes for some incoming recruits, including one in Jaquincy McKintry, who was able to take part in spring drills in March and April. Weaknesses are all relative with Alabama, right? So an Alabama weakness is probably a strength for 120 other college football teams, right? Uh, but but if you were going to identify maybe a weak point in the Alabama defense going into fall camp, would it be that corner spot or would it be another spot in your opinion? I think it could be they need interior pass rush to emerge consistently, okay. and that's where Barmore's departure hits them probably the hardest. I think early downs are going to be very good against the run. Uh, they have a couple of edge, a couple of three edge guys that can give them that perimeter pass rush. Will Anderson, the sophomore, being chief among those. But they need one of these guys, or two or three, I'm sure they would take as many as they could get, to emerge as interior pass rushers uh, when they go into their nickel and dime packages. And maybe it's a young guy like Tim Smith, a second-year player, flashed last year at times as a true freshman. He sort of has – that skill set and perhaps that ceiling that we've seen from Quinnen Williams, Deron Payne, guys like that in the past. So I think it'll, I think it'll happen. I think it's just more of a question of who and whom, how many they can get. Would that be the the interior D line? Is that the biggest kind of position battle going into fall camp in your opinion? I think situationally, there are certainly roles that are going to be up for grabs again, going back to, nickel and dime, what they like to call their rabbits package, where they really try to get after the quarterback. You know, who's going to be that interior guy? Um, they're going to have competition at inside linebacker, even with Henry Toa Toa coming on board to go along with Christian Harris. Jalen Moody, a veteran that really came on last year and showed some great signs, had a great spring. Um, they're going to have a lot of schematic versatility with those guys. So not so much a problem. It's a good problem, I think, they've got right now. 
but I think competition, again, as you said, at that one corner spot, Jalen Armour Davis, a veteran, sort of held that down throughout the spring. But again, Kuwait McKinstry expected to be a big part of that mix. Uh, I think their sub-package roles, their star defensive back, slot corner, their dime back position, uh, they return a couple of really talented, proven at this point, young players in Brian Branch and Malachi Moore, but they continue to recruit at a very high level. So um, competition is certainly a great friend of this Alabama staff as they head into fall camp. Last thing on defense before we move on to offense, I guess last year you mentioned it, right? Uh, the defense started the year with some struggles, clearly got better as the year went on. Would you attribute that to just a kind of a new group of guys learning to get on the same page and what was a crazy COVID year, uh, you know, kind of figuring things out as the season progressed? I think you could point to some of that. They were still developing guys, no doubt about it. You know, we talk about the benefit of some of the bumps in the road that they've taken with having to play so many young guys, especially a couple of years ago. But, you know, this, David, a lot of it is just these offenses, man. Right. I mean, Ole Miss was set up in a way, even in Lane's first year, at the important positions really across the board on offense, that if you saw them early in the season – even though it was his first year, there was the potential for you to get lit up. And that's what happened to Alabama and Oxford in that crazy game. Again, earlier in the season, they did seem to progress, but you get teams, you get offenses like what Florida put out there, even late in the season. You just don't have the matchups for Kyle Pitts. Nobody had that matchup. Brian Branch played his tail off in that game at the dimeback position. And so did Malachi Moore at the star, but, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts, um, you know, they had other wide receivers and playmakers to go along with those two guys, threw it to their backs, an accurate, instinctive quarterback in Kyle Trask. Um, even into December, uh, it didn't always get easier for the defense. And, you know, not that Nick Saban concedes anything, but you've almost heard it in hearing from him that, you know, from time to time, you're going to run up on some of these offenses and, they're going to have personnel and scheme things in play that, you know, if they get rolling, they get into rhythm. It's just tough, tough to deal with. Speaking of offenses, let's, let's get to Alabama's uh, attack this year. And I'm sure you guys talk about it every day, right? Bryce young. Um, What did you see in the spring from him in general? And just behind the scenes, how excited are people uh, about him? Cause clearly everyone at Alabama behind the scenes knows what good quarterback play looks like, especially in these, these recent years. Uh, you know, is there any feeling like, like from my point of view, it seems like, yeah, Bryce Young's going to figure it out. He's going to be a great player right away. Uh, is there any reason to feel otherwise, I guess? Not to this point. You know, the only thing is he's a second year guy and he really didn't benefit from the development leading up to even his freshman year. And because it was an all-Power 5 schedule, I'm sure while he did see a good bit of action as the backup to Mac Jones, it still wasn't what they would have liked to have gotten him. You know, there wasn't a New Mexico State on the schedule last year. Um, There weren't those three games that you typically get, two or three games that you typically get, where a young quarterback can really benefit. But there was talk about there being another real competition at the position um, going into this season, in the spring anyway, that didn't really materialize. It just seemed like Bryce took the reins 
quickly. Nick Saban isn't one usually in that situation to all but anoint a guy, a starter in March or April. And while he didn't speak those specific words, it was as close as you can come uh, in his commentary on Bryce. So, yeah, he headed into the summer as very much the number one guy. If anything, there was some talk about, you know, a real competition at the backup spot where Paul Tyson's going into his third year. He had an early enrollee in Jalen Milrow out of the state of Texas. Uh, very impressive in terms of what he brings to the table as far as talent and potential. And then you got to consider, too, you got a new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in Bill O'Brien. So bringing a lot of things together, but it sounds like Bryce really distanced himself, uh, had a gap already, and it just became wider throughout the spring. And with that, the expectations are going to be that Bryce is going to just fall right in line with this incredible run of quarterbacks they've had. You know, the thing he's not going to have, obviously, is that quartet of receivers that they've pushed through the program. So we look at the offensive side of the ball, and John Mechie is a proven commodity after really having number one receiver numbers a year ago. But they got to have a two, a three, a four. And nobody's going to feel sorry, I don't think, for Alabama after these last three or four years. What would you dis- – like from what you've seen of Bryce, what would you say are kind of his top traits, just these the early first impressions you've seen of him on the field? I think that there's a lot of talk about his height or lack of it, but he seems to have a real feel for the position, um, does some things instinctively. I think there's going to be a perception of Bryce going into the season that his check down is going to be his legs, right? If he gets pressure because he can do it. I mean, he can make plays with his legs. But what I've seen from him, even going back to high school, is he's not a run-first guy. He can feel pressure. He can navigate the pocket pretty well. And then he can extend plays for the sake of throwing the football first and foremost. So that's his that's his go-to. He's a passer first and foremost. But um, what he's going to bring that they really haven't had since – Jalen Hurts is that if he needs to, um, he can make it happen with his legs and produce some explosive plays. And he's probably going to need to do some of that, David, because they have so much explosive play production that is left. And so he's going to have to extend some plays. He's going to have to work some guys open, you know, and they're going to have to be a little bit different that way to sort of produce explosive plays. Cause I don't think they're just going to be able to call a play and with the personnel they have, at least early in the season, okay, that's going to be a, you know, an explosive play. They, they don't have that type of uh, people, I don't think, going into the season. So he's going to have – I think people think he's just going to be sort of this handed-off guy. If they're going to even come close to their explosive play production from the last three or four years, he's going to have to be a creator at times. You've mentioned, you know, Alabama's replacing a lot wide receiver, O-line. What do you feel like is the biggest question mark on offense going into this fall camp, I guess? Yeah, you know, I would say wide receiver rotation. There's talent there, but beyond Mechie, and Slade Bolton's a guy that's been around and did some good things for him last year after Jalen Waddle went out. But you also have to factor Jalil Billingsley into this, even though he's a tight end. Right. Uh, they do some things with him that are very much sort of wide receiver oriented. So, you know, they know what they've got in Jalil Billingsley. That's another playmaker. But 
know, they've got some other guys that you saw in the spring, Javon Baker, Ajay Hall, a true freshman, did some good things in the spring game. Ja'Cory Brooks, I know they're going to be counting on Christian Leary. These are all freshmen. JoJo Earl wasn't an early enrollee and a spring practice participant, but he's on campus now. He's another one of those waddle types. So uh, they got to figure that out. There's talent. They just got to figure that stuff out. I think also, whereas they have a lot of talent, similarly at running back with Najee Harris going on, Brian Robinson's been around. He's a super senior. Um, and then they have some guys that I know they feel good about, like Jace McClellan, Roydell Williams, uh, Trey Sanders, number one running back recruit in the country a couple of years ago, has had a couple of unfortunate injuries trying to get back. So I would say just skill people in general. And as an extension of that, and people get tired of hearing it from me, I know, explosive play production sure. because it has been such a big part of what they are these yeah. last three or four years. That's college football in general, the explosive yeah, play. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, just a uh, couple more for you, but the, the Miami – Alabama matchup in terms of being a season opener, right? You look at the the history under Nick Saban, he destroys whoever they play in season openers. Um, what do you make, I guess, what, what would you attribute that success to just Nick? Is it another example of Nick Saban just always having his team prepared, focused, ready, uh, out the gate. And, uh, I'll let you answer that. And then I got to follow up, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, when you look at it, if we're just being honest and you put the roster side by side, right? Alabama typically has a roster right. that is the best or top two or three in the country. And then you combine that with you're giving him and that staff, what, eight, nine months to get right. ready. And not that they'll spend all of their focus in the offseason just on Miami because they'll break it down to the first three or four opponents. Um but when you look at it in Florida, it's going to be a big part of that too, that road trip two weeks later. But and they're they're staffed in a way. I mean, it's been talked about. And sure. you know, between their support staff um and, and things like that and the time that they have. And 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 then again, it all goes back to roster. And people hear that and think, well, he's just talking about number one recruiting classes. Well, sure, that's part of it, but what they're doing right now and their sports science program and how they've advanced that with Dr. Matt Ray and David Ballou coming on board in the last couple of years. Um, you know, you see tweets here in the last day or so. Evan Neal's a 360-pound offensive yeah. tackle, and he's doing split that. box jumps that are just – I mean, it's freakish. Insane. And yeah. so, yeah, that's – you know, that, those are the ingredients that make them very difficult early. So – what do you make? Cause again, history tells us, you know, I think the stat is like every ranked season opener, Alabama's won the game by a, an average margin of 23 points. Right. So you look at this line, uh, the, the, the betting line, you could see 18, 18 and a half, 19, some places. Do you think that's a fair betting line? Because, you know, you've mentioned this is a team in transition. Granted, Alabama is going to be talented. They always are. They will always figure things out by the end of the year, of course. But in terms of this Miami season opener, is this a different season opener opener in your mind? Because, you know, this Miami team is on paper, talented, experienced, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Is it different than recent season openers Alabama's faced, I guess, in your opinion? It is in some ways. As far as the line goes, I think that's just kind of where it's at 
in terms of Vegas trying to get people to bet the other side yeah. with Alabama. Um, as far as what I would advise, and I wouldn't, by the way, but um, it, it seems about right to me. Yeah. It does. Um, you know, there are certainly questions about Alabama offensively in terms of all the turnover at the skill position player spots, and even a couple on that offensive line they've got to figure out in fall camp. I don't have as many questions about Bryce Young. I say that he may go out and throw three or four picks because I think Miami's secondary and uh, that defense has a chance to be pretty good. But um, but you could say that about Miami too, as far as questions. And it starts sure. with the Eric King. I mean, yeah, without knowing exactly what his status is going to be and his what his percentage of effectiveness and how much the playbook's going to be open to a guy that really does it both ways. It's impossible right now even to, to feel, I would think, to feel good about going either way with that, with yeah. that line. Agreed. So it tells me it's right. Yeah. Or close. Hypothetically, let's say Derek King is 90% of what he normally would be going into a season, right? In your opinion, is would Derek be one of the better quarterbacks they faced in a season opener? I know I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here uh, with with some history questions, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess his just the dangerous yeah. quarterback factor in a season opener yeah. is that something to you? I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I do. I would say so. Um, you know, the shame of last year among the shames secondarily to everything else, but just from a football, college football perspective, was that Alabama was supposed to see Keaton Slovis in SC right. in last year's opener. And it got wiped out, obviously, by the pandemic. So, no, when I think about it, um, you know, I mean, Florida, State, it, they Florida faced, State in 2017, right. they had the one-two-ish type matchup in Atlanta. Um, Denard Robinson, they handled pretty well. Uh, yeah, and he was kind of a multi-purpose guy. Right. Um, Tyrod Taylor, they handled Tyrod well. Taylor, and he was a good college. I mean, turned out to be a pro. So, right. um, yeah, I would say so. I would put D'Eric up there. Right. Um, you know, when they saw SC in 16, they didn't see uh, they didn't see Sam right. uh, Darnold. early in the game anyway. Right. Um, with the Jet – or with the Panthers now, so Darnold. Uh, he was the backup going into that game. So, yeah, I would say Derek, Derek King is is going to be up there. Last thing, we'll let you get out of here, Travis. I guess what would you say just from a Miami perspective if the Miami fans are following Alabama throughout fall camp, right? What is mm-hmm. the one storyline you feel like would be the most important thing for Miami fans to follow uh, leading up to this game? I think it's about the Alabama offense, Again, and as we talked about how things sort of start to fit in or fill in um, at wide receiver, at running back, how that rotation works out. And I say all that, but, you know, I think Alabama going into that game is going to feel like with Evan Neal and Neil Echior and a veteran center and Chris Owens and a couple of newcomers on that offensive line, they're going to think that they can – lean on the run game still some to some extent, even with Najee Harris moving on and knowing that defensively they're going to be anticipated to be exceptional. Right. So 
a little bit of a retro game perhaps for Alabama and something to keep an eye on, but mostly it's going to be that offense, you know, and, you know, if, if Alabama is more retro, I think that helps Miami's chances of staying in the game. If you're reading throughout August that, you know, some of these guys are starting to really emerge at the wide receiver position and, um, you know, the explosive play potential remains at least semi-intact, that's when I would probably start to worry about, you know, what this game could turn into. Right. Travis, appreciate your time. Tell the people where they can find you work, the Miami fans. Tell them your Twitter handle, name of the podcast, all that good stuff as we're getting close to the start of college football season here. Thanks, David. Just go to BamaOnline.com or Alabama.247sports.com. You can also catch me on Twitter at Travis Ryer, R-E-I-E-R. And of course, the Bama Online podcast that we also do over there at the website as well. Excellent stuff from you guys. I, I highly recommend all the Inside the U readers and listeners to go check out Travis's work and his, his colleagues over there at Bama Online. Travis, thanks again. I'm sure we'll talk more uh, as the game gets closer and closer. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks, David. normal what's normal the paramount plus original series evil returns we've already hunted werewolves and demons and now what a baby antichrist <laughs> prepare yourself you will not beat us for the end visions of hell make it stop make it shut up you're not gonna survive this evil the final season streaming may 23rd only on paramount plus